Well, what if it was even easier? Uh, this morning, I, if I were to give you one word this morning and, and ask you to, to define your heart, what's the one word you might use today? You'd say, my heart is... Um, here's a bunch of words that we might um, consider. My heart is full, it's overjoyed, it's thankful, it's hopeful. My heart is broken, it's hurting, it's heavy, it's depressed. My heart is scared, uncertain, it's searching, it's tired. My heart is jealous or angry or bitter or dirty. Uh, I wonder what word we would use this morning or what other words you might come up with to describe your heart today. I think as we move across that list, you know, I think the, the farther we get to the darker side, I think the less honest we would be. If we were in a group and we said, okay, what's your heart like? And we all share what our heart was like. I think we would tend to gravitate towards, oh, my heart's full or oh, I'm hurting. We might admit that. But the farther we get over to my heart is jealous or angry or we, we might. Well, this morning, I, I want to start a new series, uh, calling this series a spiritual EKG. Um, and in this series, we are going to do a spiritual EKG of our Heart, and we're going to kind of look at what's really in our heart, and uh, I think you might be surprised at what's in your heart, and and I think this is important because I think what we're going to find out is kind of contrary to the way we normally would think, and I think again, if I asked us all to put down one word and describe our heart, I think we might be surprised at the one of the words that God would put in there to to describe our heart. Let me start here in uh, in. Um, the book of Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the Holy Spirit comes along and bears witness with our spirit. We are adopted into God's family. We, we become his children. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And so consider this, is that, the, is that God's spirit speaks to our spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to my spirit every day, reminding me who I am in Christ. And, and um, I had an experience a, a few months back that kind of shaped this series, and I'll share that at the end of the message, kind of what I uh, experienced one Sunday morning, and, uh, and it just opened up my eyes to a, a truth that I want to share in this series as we think about, really, the condition of our heart. Now, we talk about doing a, a spiritual EKG. What is an EKG? Well, here is a description from the WebMD, uh, from the WebMD website. Uh, EKGs are short for electrocardiogram, and I quote, uh, they check for signs of heart disease. It's a test that records the electrical activity of your ticker through small electrode patches that a technician attaches to the skin of your chest, arms, and legs. EKGs are quick, safe, and painless. With this test, your doctor will be able to check your heart rhythm, see if you have poor blood flow to your heart muscle, diagnose a heart attack, check on things that are abnormal such as thickened heart muscle, detect if there are significant electrolyte abnormalities, end quote. In short, EKGs are great for our health. They can tell us if we have a diseased heart, a weak heart, or some issue with our heart. And this is really important. Our heart's important to our health because, let's be honest, if your heart stops working, we stop working, right? So our heart's pretty important. I want us to see in this series how important the heart is to our spiritual side. 
the reality is the heart is the center of our psyche, the center of our psychology, or as we would know it, the center of our soul. The very center of who we are as a person is our heart. Consider the fact we're designed in God's image. We are a body, a soul, and a spirit. And in the center of my soul, in the center of who I am, is my heart. Consider the significance of the heart here. Romans chapter 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And so we see here, the Bible says our heart is where we make our decisions, exercise our will, and express our very faith. And so we see the significance of the heart here. Uh, The heart is the center of our soul. I missed that one. But we see the significance of our heart here in, in, in relationship to our will to the fact that, that we have a will and we make decisions and we make them from the center of uh, who we are, from actually from our heart. Our salvation is a matter of the heart. So in this series, we want to look at the condition of our heart and we want to look at the truest and deepest desires of our heart. Now there is one word, as I said, we could all write down one word or maybe more than one word to describe our heart today where we're at. But there is one word that God would use to describe our hearts. I don't think we would use this word. I don't think we instinctively would say, this describes my heart. But God would, and and that's the key. The reality is, think about this, we are new creations in Christ. And when we became new creations in Christ, God gave us a new heart. Here's a verse we're going to unpack this momentarily, okay? Um, Paul says that the Christian heart the Christian has an obedient heart. That's the word we're going to look at today. And here's the verse. You see, you see it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, past tense, have become obedient from the heart. And that's not talking about our behavior. That's talking about who we are. We have, the Bible would say, we have an obedient heart. What does that mean? Well, we're going to unpack that today as we go through this message and as we go through this series, this idea of our heart now, I'm guessing a lot of you would look and, and you would say, well, I, yeah, okay, well, I don't think that describes my heart. I mean, I know I should be obedient. I know I'm supposed to be obedient. I know I'm supposed to do certain things and not do certain things, and I really struggle with that. And so I don't know that I would say I have an obedient heart. But the reality is, regardless of what you would say, God says, hey, you once were slaves of sin, but now you have an obedient heart. That is who you are right now. And why, again, is this? Why, again, is this? Well, because, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone confesses with his mouth, believes and receives, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We're new creations, and when we become new creations, we are given new hearts. God does heart surgery on us. He does a heart transplant. He gives us, actually gives us his heart. And of course, the key to this, again, is that whole thing of being, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ, you have a new heart. If you're in Adam, this is your heart if you're in Adam. This is the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Another translation says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So you see, there's a big difference there between Paul saying, You used to be slaves of sin. You used to be just like that. Now you have an obedient heart. 
There's been a change. And I think this is so significant because I am surprised at the number of people today. It's sad, the number of pastors and authors and teachers today that go back to, second, to, to, to Jeremiah and say, Oh, Lord, we have such wicked hearts. We need you. And I just want to scream, No, if you've trusted Christ, you have him. He's in you. And he has given you his heart, a new and obedient heart. And so that's the reality. Now, here, here's the thing. So think about this. We think about obedience, right? And we think about all the things that we're supposed to do to be obedient. Think about all the things that we feel like. We're supposed to read God's word every day, and we're supposed to pray without ceasing, and we're supposed to be generous and we're, with, our, with our resources. We're supposed to love our enemies and serve, our, uh, serve with humility. We're supposed to do good works and walk in victory and rest in God and share our faith and walk by faith and take that leap of faith. And there's all these things we're supposed to do, right? And, and we sit there and think, yeah, but I don't really... they're like obligations that that weigh us down, and I really don't want to. Yeah, I'm supposed to share my faith, but I don't want to. And yes, I'm supposed to be generous with my money, but I don't want to. Yes, I'm supposed to walk by faith, but I don't want to. I I know I'm supposed to obey God, but I really don't want to. Well, what if the exact opposite was true? What if at the very core of who you were, the center of your soul in your heart, what if you really, really, really did want the same things God wanted? What if that was a possibility? We're going to see that in this series and see that specifically today. Let's start with our big idea today. And, and this, this is the thing that will really frame this whole message. And I shared something similar a few weeks ago talking about work. But it applies today so much so that this whole message is built, built on this premise. For the Christian, the key to a life of obedience is to see obedience as a noun before we see it as a verb. If we see obedience first as a verb, as something I'm supposed to do, it's going to be really difficult. If I see obedience as as a noun, something that I am, then it will change my whole perspective on the issue of obedience and and how I approach obedience in my walk with Christ. That's the key. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 6 today and kind of work our way in and out of this uh, chapter here and... um, Not directly straight through it, but we're going to hit some things here. Let's start in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So we're new creations in Christ and the goal now is that we would walk in the newness of life. And so that's the question today, a twofold question for us, really. How do I walk in the newness of life and embrace a life of obedience? How do I do that? How do I walk in the newness of life and how do I embrace a life of obedience? Well, three things we're going to see today that will help us with this. Let's start here in verses 17 and 18. Here's what he says. We read this a moment ago, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become, past tense, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Here's the first thing we need to see today. I am, therefore, I obey. I am, therefore, I obey. Simply understand it at at the foundational level like this. Anytime 
that I am obedient. Anytime I do the things I'm supposed to do in Christ and live the way I'm supposed to live, anytime I do that, I'm doing it because that's who I am. Because I have an obedient heart. Because I am the child of God and His Spirit does indwell me. That's the reality. And do you see what this totally does? How it totally eradicates any self-righteousness. If I link up righteousness and obedience, and, and, and so, well, this just totally eradicates any self-righteousness. Because it's like we always champion around here that it's not me, but it's Christ in me. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now watch this develop because it's really cool and I don't think we often consider this, but I'm going to jump from Romans to the book of Peter. Now I could, I could take you to three places in Romans and show you this kind of same principle play out, but look here in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read the text and, and make commentary along the way. Watch this, there's something cool to see. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and, be, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember again, the key in our Christian walk is setting our mind on the Spirit, not on the flesh. So notice there, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Verse 14, as obedient children, I, lo- I love that, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, past tense, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay? Now note here how Paul identifies them. He says, as obedient children. He's not telling them to be obedient. He's, he's identifying them as obedient children children in fact i love this one translation the new century version says it this way now that you are obedient children of god do not live as you did in the past and so he goes on and says now be holy as i am holy but notice again how i'm defined i'm defined as an obedient child i may not feel like one but i have an obedient heart i'm now an obedient child what does that mean well let's go on we'll see a little more of what this looks like Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or splot. He goes on. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So basically he's saying we inherited from Adam and Eve, our forefathers, we inherited the sin nature and God redeemed us how? He redeemed us with the precious blood. Not with gold and silver but with the most precious commodity in the face of the earth, the blood of Christ. And he he ransomed us and he redeemed us and we are saved and we have a relationship with him. That's amazing. But now watch this. Look, Look what he says next. While the blood of Christ redeems us, listen to what Peter says next. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Oh, and by the way, the word of God is the good news that was preached to you. The truth is the word. The word is the good news. And so basically he's saying here that, yes, we're, we're ransomed and redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we purified our souls how? By being obedient to the truth or really being obedient to the gospel. 
Now, I'm not done. So now take that thought there, right? I'm, I'm redeemed by the blood of Christ, but I am purified by being obedient to the gospel. Now look what it says in Hebrews. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. This is before he goes to the cross in the Garden of, uh, in the garden of Gethsemane. And, and, and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's, a, that's phenomenal in its own sense. There's a whole message there. What does it mean that Jesus learned obedience? Well, he learned how to be obedient when it was costly, when it was painful, when it was hard. In fact, Philippians tells us, and I'll be there in a minute, but Philippians just tells us basically Christ was obedient all the way to the cross. But he goes on to verse 9. Look at verse 9. And being made perfect, Jesus was made perfect. The Holy One was made complete by learning obedience at the cross. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So what's going on here? What's, what, what's, what is this telling us here? It's telling us here that Jesus Christ was the first one, really, to be obedient to the gospel. Think about this. We are because he was. We are obedient because you know who was obedient first? You know the first person to be obedient to the gospel was Jesus Christ himself. And we couldn't be obedient to the gospel if he hadn't been obedient to the gospel. But he was obedient to the Father and to the plan of redemption. And he went to the cross and offered his life and ransomed us and redeemed us. And, to, and he saved us, right? And today we purify our souls, how? By our, by our obedience. Does that mean by the way we live every day? No, by being obedient to what? The gospel. By being obedient to the gospel. Now here's the, the thing. Here's the thing, when we were obedient to the gospel, we became new creations in Christ and we got new obedient hearts. Hearts that want to obey God. Hearts that are naturally obedient. That's, that's what's in our heart. Our heart is no lock and wicked and evil and deceitful. Now our hearts are obedient. We want to do the things God wants us to do. Wow. Now I get it again. We look at our lives and we think at times, well, I'm not obedient. I'm more disobedient than I am obedient to the things God wants of me. But God looks at us and sees us as obedience. Now, is there a problem here though? Now, what about this? So how am I saved? By being what? Obedient to the gospel. Okay. Is that a works? Is that at works to salvation? How would you answer that? If someone said, to be saved, you have to be obedient to the gospel. Is that kind of mixing works in with my salvation? No. What does it mean to be obedient to the gospel? It means I lay down all my self-effort and all my self-righteousness and all my self-improvement and everything that I think makes me anything I lay it down and, and to be obedient to the gospel simply means I trust Christ and Christ alone and it's all Him and there's nothing in me that's good. I have an incurable heart. I need a heart transplant. There's nothing redeemable about me except that Christ made me brand new redeemed me and made me brand new and gave me his spirit, gave me his life and gave me his heart. And so yes, to be obedient to the gospel is not a work. It's the exact opposite of a work. It's acknowledging there's nothing I can do. And most of the world today, they're not being obedient to the gospel. They're trying to earn their way into God's goodness. They're not leaving behind their self-righteousness and their self-effort and their self-improvement. They're not counting it all as wrought to trust in Christ. 
So, we are because he was. We are obedient because he was. He was the first one to be obedient. Look what Paul says, though. Paul goes on here. We have become, because of the gospel, Paul in the past tense tells us here in Romans 6, that we have become, two things, we have become obedient from the heart. It's happened in the past. We, it's not, we are becoming obedient. It's not that the, the more I live the way I'm supposed to live, I'm become. No, in my heart of hearts, my natural inclination is I am becoming, that I, is that I am, I have become. I am obedient from the heart. That is who we are. Before I see obedience as something I do, I need to see it as who I am. This is huge when you think about the struggles in your life, the language you want to change, the behavior you want to change, the entertainment choices you want to change, the relationships you want to change, the attitudes, the thought patterns, the way you see yourself, all those things you want to change. It's, it's huge to, to understand what is in my heart and that I am obedient. Here's a great illustration I heard one time. I think it's really powerful. Let's say that you had a home makeover, right? And someone came in and they just redid your entire home and gave you brand new carpets and brand new cabinets and you got brand new windows and brand new furniture in your house. It was just decorated to the hill and it looks incredible. And your, your house has never looked so great in, in you know, like 20 years. It's like, wow, it's like a new house. And you come in and you got your dirty boots on and you walk through the kitchen and you just drop your dirty boots in the middle of the living room. And in fact, you know, you got a big garbage thing and you decide, yeah, it's convenience. Let's just put this big garbage tin, collects all our garbage all week. Let's just put it in the living room. Well, of course you wouldn't do that. Of course you wouldn't. Why? Because you look at your house and your house is spotless and now you'd be like extra careful, like extra careful of spilling something on the floor and extra careful of what you would leave out. It's like our house is spotless. It is perfect. We'd be extra. That's the reality. Look at your heart. Say, my heart is instinctively pure and it's obedient and it's filled with the spirit of Christ. And no, I don't want to just throw junk all over my heart because I need to see myself for who I really am in Christ. We have become slaves we have become obedient from the heart. And then Paul says this, we have become slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. We're no longer slaves of unrighteousness or sin. If we've been addicted to keeping the garbage in the living room, well, you don't have to anymore. You've been set free. You can haul that outside and keep your garbage, you know, away from the house. Like you don't have to have any garbage anymore at all. We have become slaves of righteousness. In the book of Philemon, there's a fascinating story. It's a one-chapter book in the Bible. Paul, um, Paul had a friend named Philemon, and Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, and Onesimus ran away uh, as a slave, ran away from Philemon. In fact, he might have stolen some money and took off, and, and uh, as he's running away, he runs into Paul, and Paul leads this man, Onesimus, to Christ, and Onesimus gets saved, and so Paul says, Onesimus, the righteous thing for you to do is to go back to your master legally. He has the right to you, and go back to him, and I will send a letter back and, and vouch for you. And so Paul sends a letter back with Onesimus to Philemon, basically saying, hey, uh, he's a brother in Christ now. He, he accepted Christ. If he wronged you, if there's any financial, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll make the difference up for you. Just, just welcome him into the family of God and welcome him back on my behalf. And here is what Paul said in verse 21 and 22. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Why is Paul so confident of his obedience? Well, it could be that Paul knows the guy and it's like, okay. But I think there's more going on here. I think Paul is appealing to his identity. He's saying, confident that you'll do the right thing because that's who you are. Because that's who you are in Christ. And uh, I think there's just a reality there for each of us. We are no longer slaves of, righteous, or slaves of unrighteousness. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are slaves of righteousness. And so Christ, or Paul there appeals to this man's identity. So first thing, I am, therefore I obey. Let's go on and look at the second thing this morning that we will unpack this. How to, how to live in the newness of life and embrace a life of obedience. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. I am, therefore I desire. I am, therefore I, de- I am, therefore I obey, but I am, therefore I desire. And he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. The reality is, not only do I have an obedient heart, I have a heart that really desires obedience. It really desires, I really want to do the things God wants me to do. He says, don't let sin reign within you. Sin like a parasite can reign within us and sin can can just can lead us astray and distract us and make us think we want things that we don't really want. It's again, like Peter said, it's in our mind. We, we gotta set our mind in the, in the right place for victory. Set our mind on the spirit, not on the flesh so we don't get led astray. The flesh is that old man thinking, the habitual practices before we were saved, the thought patterns of this world that will lie to us and convince us we want things we really don't want. Here's the thing to always remember. I've said this before, but it's so powerful. Every thought we have does not come from us. Every thought I have does not come from me. Just because I have a thought does not mean, oh, this is me talking to myself. Sometimes the flesh speaks to me. Sometimes Satan, the enemy, lies to me. My thoughts, the thoughts in my head are not always my own thoughts. The point is our truest desires align squarely with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. My spirit is fused with the Holy Spirit and I share his desires. We are one. We really are one. I really want what God wants. I know that's so contrary because we're like, you know, you just don't know me. No, yeah, I do because I know me. I know how it works in my life that I really, really want the things of God even though sometimes I think I don't and I listen to those lies. The the story is very similar to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Created in God's image, they had God's DNA, they wanted what God wanted. When did Adam and Eve stop wanting what God wanted? When the enemy lied to them, and they listened to the lie. Adam and Eve didn't say, hey, we should try that tree. Hey, Hey, you know what, wouldn't it be great, Adam, if we were more like God? That's not the way it worked. 
No. Adam and Eve didn't tell them. Adam and Eve were fully aligned with God, fully wanted what God wanted. It was an outside force. It was the enemy coming from the outside saying, hey, you should be more like God. Hey, you should look at that tree. Hey, you would really like that fruit. And we're thought, oh, maybe we would. It's not that they wanted it. It's that, it's that they were convinced to think that they did want it. And the reality is, the rest is history. It works the same way for you and I today. So we think we want things. We think we want to say that word and watch that movie and go to that party and pass on that gossip and tell that lie and and get that revenge. We think we want all that stuff and then we do it and we're like, yeah, I didn't really want to do that. Why did I do that? That's not me. That's the reality. Sin is fun for a season, yes, for a few moments, but I will strongly contend that in our heart of hearts we really don't want sin. We actually hate sin. In fact, here's, here's the reality. When it comes to not sinning and it comes to obedience, there are a couple of different things that can motivate us, okay? There are a couple different things that can motivate us when it comes to being obedient. I'm not talking about these things, okay? I'm not talking about our conscience, for instance. We all have a conscience, and, and right? We do the wrong thing, and our conscience is like, you shouldn't have done that. You were a bad little boy. You feel guilty, I mean, even the person that's not saved, the person in Adam has a conscience and can feel guilt and shame. And I'm not talking about the consequence. I'm not talking about the person who says, well, you know, I don't like to lose my anger in the home because it really affects my marriage negatively. Or I don't really like to be undisciplined, you know, the way I am with with my money because, you know, we're having financial problems and we're in debt and I wish I was more disciplined. I don't like the consequences. I don't like being undisciplined and not taking care of myself and, and I, you know, I don't like, you know, being overweight or being out of shape or, you know, I'm not talking about disliking the consequences. I'm talking about the fact of we hate the sin, that it's not compatible with us, that when it comes to the, we just don't desire sin. And I know the enemy wants to make us think we do, but we really don't. And so we're not just talking about the conscience or the consequence. We're talking about the actual reality of hating sin itself. Not just the conscience, not just the consequence. We don't just hate the guilt. We don't just hate the consequences. We hate the actual sin. It's not who I am. Here's again. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. And let me just say one more thing here. Here's the thing. We do, the consequences of our action of the conscience, that plays a role. I'm not saying it doesn't play a role. Certainly it does. It motivates us and it's fine. Like in regards to my conscience, here's the deal. You know what happens when, when I do something and my conscience says, ah, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit comes along and speaks to my spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you know what it says? He says, he says, uh, yeah, what, what he said. I agree. Holy Spirit agrees with our conscience that, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Kind of like fortifies my conscience. But that's just the reality. So here's the thing again. <clears throat> it's not that we always want what we pursue, but that we think we want what we pursue. That's what I've been saying. Just, just. Just write it down, just reinforce it. That's the reality. It's not that I want these things. It's that I am convinced to think that I do want these things. He also says in here not to present your members 
as instruments for <clears throat> unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Again, going back to the Garden of Eden, our highest purpose is to bring glory to God and we will find our deepest meaning when we bring glory to God. And so here's kind of what, what, what it really looks like in your life. Think about your members. Think about your body. Think about your body parts. We have arms that long to cling to God and mouths that long to sing to God and feet that long to go for God and hearts that want to know God and hands that want to serve God and ears that long to hear from God and lips that long to taste the word of God and a mind that longs to dwell on God, our thoughts long to reflect on our past with God, our body wants to totally surrender to God. You see, our heart is filled with the Spirit of God, and the rest of us longs to be in harmony with the center of our heart, the center of our being. And I get it. We listen to the enemy, we listen to the flesh. Like Adam and Eve, we buy into the lies, we eat the forbidden fruit, we disobey. But that wasn't us talking to us, that was the enemy leading us astray. It's not that we always want what we pursue, but that we think we want what we pursue, and then we find out, yeah, I really didn't want that. One of the best examples of this in the Bible is the prodigal son, right, who took his inheritance from his dad and went off into a far country and lived riotously and, and, and wildly, and, and, he, and he blew all his money, and he ended up in a, in a pig pen, eating pig food, and the Bible says what happened. He came to his senses, now, when he came to his senses, what did he do? Did he clean himself up and look for a better job? Did he vow to make better decisions and work harder the next time? No, when he came to his senses, where did he look? He looked to his father. He looked to the father. And he banked on the fact that his father was a merciful father. My father's kind and treats his servants well. Maybe I can go home and be one of his servants. He moved forward in humility he realized that he didn't want what he really thought that he wanted. If he really wanted his independence and his freedom and this wild lifestyle, he would have fought for it. He wouldn't have gone back home. He would have picked himself up and found a way to dig himself deeper in the, in the gutter. But he didn't. He went home. He came to his senses, which means he stopped listening to the lies, the enemy, the flesh, and the outside voices. He instinctively knew what he wa wanted was <clears throat> at home. What he wanted was at home. Look at this here, Romans chapter 6, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For who has, for, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, verse 11, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we, I've said this before, but sometimes we have to be more deliberate to simply talk to ourselves. Stop listening to the voices and talk a little more to ourselves deliberately talk to ourselves. Again, the prodigal son, when he came to his senses, he what? He said, he talked to himself. He's like, hey, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? He started to talk to himself. He started to say, hey, you know what my dad's like? You know who my dad is? You know what my dad just might do? 
And he came to his senses and he stopped listening to the lies, started talking to himself. We need to do that. We need to. Romans 6, 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Just simply say, hey, you know what? I'm dead to that sin. You know what? I don't really want to do that. You know, every time you do that, that when, when you're done doing it, you just don't like yourself. You just, you, that's not what you want. The enemy is just making you think that you want that. Let's go to the third thing this morning. How do we walk in the newness of life and embrace a life of obedience? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Present yourselves as though you are obedient. Because you are. Because you are. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present yourself to God as those who do have the spirit of Christ and do have obedient hearts. In the end, I am, therefore I choose. I am, therefore I obey. I am, therefore I desire. I am, therefore I choose. And the reality is life is a series of choices. Eventually life is a verb. First it's a noun. It's who I am. It's what I want. But eventually... Yeah, eventually obedience is a verb and I make choices. And I should make choices that correspond with who I am and what I want. Here's four quick choices we can make this week. I'm going to read through these real quickly right out of the text. I want you to choose one this week. Or maybe God will put a different, a different idea on your heart and a different scripture and you can cling to that. But we can choose life. Romans 6, 5, for we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 11, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself alive. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This week, let's be ever conscious that we are fused with Christ, that we are one with him. Wherever I go, Christ goes. I take the kids to school, and Christ goes with me. I go to work, and Christ goes with me. I mow the lawn, and Christ mows it with me. I watch the Lions play football, and Christ watches the game with me. I go to the movies and Christ goes to the movies with me. And this is not an extra weight on our conscience. This is what we desire to know, that we are one, fused with Christ. That we're one. We are one with him. And I want what he wants. We can choose freedom this week. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. In Galatians 5, 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This week, we can be ever conscious of our freedom in Christ. Just remember this week that you are free. You're free from the guilt and condemnation. You're free from the judgment of others. You're free from the unhealthy expectations of others. You're free to rest in God's grace and to trust in God's goodness. You're free to not be okay. You're free to fail. You're free to, you're free to hurt. You're free to doubt. You're free from that addictive behavior. Even when you give in to it, you are free to live free. You can choose freedom this week. 
We want to be free. We want to choose freedom. We want to live that kind of life. We can choose worship this week. Kind of a harken back to our last series, right? Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Just think, this week I can present my whole life to God as an act of worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, we can be a living sacrifice. Why? Because we are holy and acceptable. What if this week, hearkening back to our last series, we decided to choose to worship, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice? What if we worship despite the pain, despite the circumstances, despite the doubts, despite the fears, despite the anger? What if we marveled and rejoiced in the fact that we are counted worthy enough to be a living sacrifice? What if we chose to sing in the pain, believe in the doubt, to trust within the context of a fear? What if we just chose this week to worship? Because it's what I want. I want to be obedient. I just want to worship the Lord. Again, the battle for this is in our mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to live this obedient life? You want to embrace life or freedom or worship this week? Set your mind on the spirit, not on the flesh. That's the key. And then finally, we can choose straight up obedience this week. What if this week we chose obedience? We were buried therefore with him by baptism in the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. What if we chose this week to walk in the newness of life? Verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We're just gonna obey God this week. We're gonna focus on obedience. Kids, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your grandparents. Honor your teachers, for this is right. And this is who we are. Obedience. What if this week we just focused on being obedient, to listen for the voice of the Spirit, to not harden our heart when He speaks, to, to respond to what He says? What if this week we practiced obedience with the members of our bodies? We used our ears to listen for his voice. We used our mouths to speak his words. We used our hands to serve other people. We used our feet to go where he leads. We used our eyes to see what he sees, our arms to embrace the hurting, our lips to kiss their hearts. We used our body and simply surrendered everything we have this week to God. We chose this week obedience. I am, therefore I choose. Yes, obedience is first who I am it's a noun and it's what I desire but ultimately it is a verb it is the choices that I make I have a story to close with here in a minute but a couple of questions you can just kind of work through these on your own what did we learn today though that's really what I wanted to get at what did we learn today those three simple things we learned that obedience is a noun before it is a verb I am, therefore I obey, I am, therefore I desire, and I am, therefore I choose. And we learned also as well that we need to obey the gospel, that salvation comes from obeying the gospel. So, this is kind of how this kind of 
struck me a few months back. I was, was coming into church one Sunday morning, and there's a common thing that uh, read about it, and you hear, it's always talked about, most pastors wrestle with this. You wrestle with your church compared to somebody else's church. And, uh, and so you can have a church, uh, and I don't think it matters how big your church is. There was a story recently, some about five years ago, a well-known, big well-known pastor uh, lost his church, fell into alcoholism, lost his marriage. And he said the problem was his church of 30,000, it was his goal to get the church to 100,000 and the stress is what killed him. You know, it's like, I don't know that that's the most honorable goal, but uh, okay. <clears throat> but the reality is if, if you have the church of 2,000, you can look at a church of 10,000 and say, hey, why are... If you have a church of 500, you can look at the church of 5,000 and say, how did they get there? What am I doing wrong? And, you know, if you have a church of 100, you can look at the church of 500 and think, oh, what am I doing? And if you have a church of 50, you can look at the church of 150 and say, hey, well, I don't have a few more people in my church. And so driving to church one Sunday morning a few months back and, and uh, just driving along and noticing the other churches and thinking, you know, all their parking lots are full and they're, you know, they're out on the main thoroughfare there and they've got more people. And, 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 and so you feel this sense of, like, jealousy inside of you. You think it's, and then, and I had this, this really come to Jesus moment when it's like, you know what? No, I, I'm not jealous. That's not me. You know what my heart, where my heart really is? Is that every single person in Robinson Township and in Ottawa County and in Grand Haven and Allendale, every, we just come to know Christ. And if it's in my church, fine. If it's in the church down the street, fine. Seriously. And, and so, you know, we drive along and, and you think, I wish I had a few more people in my church compared to, look at that church. Why can't I have a few more people in my church? And it's like, you know, no, I don't care. I just want to be faithful to what God has given me. Fruitful with what God has given me. And uh, that, that's the key. And, and I, it really was deep inside of me. I realized, yeah, that, that's not who I am. How, how do I really feel? I just want to, I would love to see those churches explode. And if they explode 10 times me, that's fine. That's great. That's amazing. That's what I really want. And so we have to realize that every voice we hear is not ourselves. And, and we hear voices and we have, we have feelings and we think, oh, my heart is this or my heart is that. No, your heart, you know what your heart is? Your heart is one with Christ. You really want what he wants for your family, for your community, for your life, for your church. We just want what God wants. That's all that we want. And um, we don't have to be so hard on ourselves sometimes. We just have to be more deliberate to talk to ourselves and tell us, remind ourselves. And, and when we do, when we say these things to ourselves, the Holy Spirit will say, yeah, what he said. Holy Spirit bears witness and says, yeah, that's right. That's who you are in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you have given us brand new hearts. You've given us pure hearts and clean hearts and hearts that are filled with your love and hearts that want you and want others to know you. And, and Lord, we look at these things we're supposed to do sometimes to be obedient. We're supposed to share our faith or we're supposed to, you know, go here or do that or the things that we feel called and, and we feel like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not us. You know, deep inside, we do. We want to take that leap of faith. We want to step out. We want to open our mouth. We want to do those things. Fear holds us back sometimes. But in our heart of hearts, that's what we really want because that's what you want. Help us realize that this week, wherever we go. Whether we choose this week to focus on life or freedom or worship, 
or obedience or something else that you bring to our heart and mind. As we go our ways this week, just help us remind us every day, we just want what you want. We just want to glorify you in everything we do. We want to walk in obedience. We want to walk in the newness of life. We want to express the fullness of who you are in our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.